As some of you remember, I announced last week about my No Shave November campaign is live on PreventCancer.org. If you'd like to make a donation to that cause, the link to that is in the show notes of the episode and further on for the month of November. However, as a token of my gratitude, I'd like to give you a gift for giving. Later on this week, the podcast will have partnered with tpublic.com with some shirts with my pissed off looking bearded face on them in honor of No Shave November. All proceeds of the sales go to preventcancer.org. Now, on with today's show. Surprise, it's a filmmaker. He's from the Northeast and now out in Hollywood. He works in visual effects for the major studios and streaming platforms. And in between all of that, he gets his own films made. Anthony Callie and I linked up between multiple connections we had on both East and West Coast. So I went in blind on the interview. He could have been some quiet guy, he could have been nice, and he was, or he could have been standoffish. I didn't know what to expect. Turns out him and I share a kinship of classic cinema with our love for directors like Kurosawa, Fellini, and Scorsese. It seemed like Anthony and I speak the same cinematic language. He has a short film out, and the link to that is in the show notes. Hearing him break down his process and where his head was at during the one-night shoot for it is pretty remarkable. He also just picture-locked a feature and sent it out to festivals. Hopefully we see and hear more about that in the weeks and months to come. Without further ado, on with the show, and welcome to The Basement. All right, everybody. Welcome to the basement. New episode here today. I have Anthony Callie with me, filmmaker who's doing a lot of really, really cool things right now. I see you got a lot. Of, you got you got a lot of lot of, a lot of shit going on right now, man. Oh, thanks. Well, you know what? Uh, uh, more plates you have up in the air, the more you get to just focus on that and not think about existential dread. Wow, <laughs> that's like yeah. That's that is like kind of my mo in life if i'm not working on something uh yeah yeah i'm just worried about the future (laughs) we just can't let it set in that's all just can't let it set in my my father kind of has that mentality like he's probably going to be working even if it's at like a grocery store until he like i don't know (laughs) not to be morbid but you know drops dead or something (laughs) oh it's okay hey listen good for him that means he just wants to keep moving yeah no yeah because of it for the longest time, actually, like, I mean, you know, when I was living with him and stuff, like he'd sit on his laptop all day and I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? And it turns out, dude, he's like day trading. <laughs> like, this dude's just wow. like making a shitload of money, like <laughs> after work. But, uh, I, this is a, that was a, that was a different way to start the show. But um, <laughs> anyway, well, you are, I met you through a lot of different circumstances and um, you you're working on a lot of stuff. I mean, you are, you have quite the resume from when we talked on the phone the other day, you're you're visual effects artist for like, you know, a visual effects uh, coordinator, visual effects coordinator. My apologies. My no, no problem. But like, you're working for the studios and stuff. You're working for Netflix. And I'm sorry. I'm, I do this on every episode. You just 
tell me about yourself. Tell the audience about yourself. Oh, no problem. Well, sure. So right now I am a senior VFX coordinator on a Netflix feature called Slumberland, starring Jason Momoa and Kyle Chandler. Uh, it's being directed by Francis Lawrence, guy, I think he's best known for Constantine and the Hunger Games movies. Um, but that's kind of what I do. I'm a, I'm a VFX coordinator. Before this, I was at Universal for Fast 9. Before that, Apple TV would see. Um, and it's all freelance. So, you know, you just hop and skip from one job to the next. And it keeps things interesting because, uh, you know, no job usually lasts longer than like, if you're lucky, a year. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, how did you... I mean, I know there's like everybody has their own path of how they get to where they get in the film industry, but like, how did you just land? I mean, we'll, we'll backpedal a little bit, but uh, how did you like land these gigs, man? Like, well, you know, I've always been very adamant about not um, starving to death. So when I first moved out here, um, I was just looking for PA jobs. I was dumb. I like, I had like, I, I, I didn't save up as much. I probably should have. It's a little embarrassing how much I had. So I was just taking any gigs that I could find, uh, whether it be Craigslist or staff me up or anything like that. Just meeting people, getting hired on uh, as PA for either commercials or music videos and stuff like that. Then freelance, you know, you just get gigs. They kind of, you know, this producer brings on to this, just this. Um, eventually I got, um, I found on staff me up a place that was looking for a PA, but it was at a VFX house. And I was like, Ooh, steady work. That, that sounds pretty nice. Um, <clears throat> was a PA there. I was there doing that. Um, then I was rolling that VFX, like they, they call it a VFX vendor house. Uh, VFX vendor is a place that, you know, like uh, the studios hire to get the work done. And then the vendor gives the shots and uh, the studio gives you notes. Um, and I was doing that for, I think about half a year before I moved into the camera department there. Uh, I don't know much about camera. Uh, that is a proper cameraman should, but uh, me neither. Uh, Every time okay. I've, uh, directed, uh, just small things. I always joke with my cinematographer friends, like who know a million times more than me, where I, I just have this like joke, especially one, one of them. I, I joke with them all the time. Like, Hey man, maybe we can put like a whatever size lens on this shot and it's like completely wrong what i'm saying <laughs> and they're like shut the fuck up man because <laughs> like, i kind of just come ruining from a your own background movie, yeah what'd you say sorry <laughs> i said Can you stop ruining your own movie yeah yeah i i just whoever's shooting for me i just i let them do their thing <laughs> <laughs> well that's the thing you bring them on to do a job and you trust them in order to execute that vision so yeah so got to say hey listen they probably know better than i do yeah um collaboration is key i'm sure you know because you've made a few films while you're doing this that all that other stuff uh we're gonna touch on it in a little bit but i'll just tease it for the third act of the show here but uh made a short film i've seen it i have questions i loved it i have oh, questions you. but i kind of just i'll probably just ask you one question and let you tell me what was in your head when you made it because sure. uh like i don't know it was it was really cool it was no it was just that's a generic way of putting it but like <laughs> it it definitely like i knew i know there's like more under the surface of what's going on in there it was it was a cool little thing and Ooh. you do have a feature film that's i mean whatever you can and can't say about it but i know you've 
made All some... it is, I can I can say it's completed and we are um, submitting it to film festivals. So keep your fingers crossed for us. I will. We will. Uh, but let's start like how I always do to everybody who comes on this show. Um, the just like where it all started. Like where did you where did you get the film bug and whatnot? Like was it was it a when was it? <laughs> when was it? That's a great question. Um, well, you know, I think I've, you know, you cut down my, my blabbing down for, nope. for whatever works, but I already um, feel like we're moving too fast. We got to slow it down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Well, it all started. No. Um, I've always, I mean, I've always loved film. I remember like one of my first memories is my, uh, you know, my father would be putting on either Indiana Jones or star Wars. And he knew like star Wars so well that he could be, in the kitchen, like reading the paper and he could uh, read me the, the scroll, you know, for star Wars. And I just remember looking back at him, looking at him, like being completely confused as like a, you know, three-year-old, four-year-old, like, how is he doing this? Did you, uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but oh. I just popped in my head. Did you hear the story about how that, like the scroll happened? No, I never heard that story. Um, there's a documentary uh, De Palma about Brian De Palma and it's, interview i think noah bomback made it and he um it's literally just one camera on brian de palma talking and you know b-roll footage of whatever and i guess when you know the the whole film brat crowd scorsese spielberg de palma lucas were all hanging out i guess george lucas showed brian de palma star wars and of course like I, the story goes like all of his friends all of them are like ah, george is falling off man like what the fuck is he doing <laughs> but brian de palma said like it was like, what is this? Like, I don't know what any of this is. I don't know what any of this means. You need something at the beginning of the movie to kind of tell me what the hell I'm getting into. Hence the scroll. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. Sometimes brutally honest critiques will give you a better. Product. Yeah. Like sometimes even if, you know, your friend's being an asshole to you about your, about your movie, like maybe you should still kind of listen. Your baby. About your baby. But, but what's more useful, somebody actually giving you criticism or somebody who just says, oh, it's all great. You know, oh, this is wonderful, man. Yeah, like, you when someone goes like, yeah, it was great. I go like, ah, I didn't get him. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get him. He's, he's, he's not worried about it. He's not thinking about the movie anymore. So Star Wars. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> well, you know, it started with that. And then like, you know, um, I just eventually got into foreign films. My stepfather um a couple of years later he would show me these you know foreign films more adult films and you know he always had like just a little bit of everything like he had like a couple kurosawas and a couple fleenies and mm. i like want to know more about these guys like you know i watched seven samurai and i was like oh my god what is this and he's like yeah i saw this like two decades ago and this is what i got and we talk about it but then like he wouldn't have anything else so back when netflix had dvds i would be like research like i would be i would be like putting every movie that guy ever made onto this onto the my list and i have to wait you know weekly to get like oh ikaru oh redbeard mm. oh you know like oh you know all these things that just kind of enhance my knowledge but i never thought about taking it too seriously um i think until college i i was even when going into college i was kind of afraid of um you know setting myself up for failure because film is very as you know film is very hard it's very hard to try to get into that's why i'm doing this podcast man i'm bored <laughs> right now i can't make anything 
So you get it. Um, I went for history. I went for European history. I thought I was going to be a professor with the tea jack, uh, tweed jacket and the, the pipe, you know, and the, yeah. but uh, I found a TV station there and I eventually just worked it. I got to have my own show and, you know, as a writer and editor. And I was like, you know what? I, I, I think I got to do this. So had some internships up in Albany um, through uh, the PBS cha- uh, station up there a local access channel where I learned, you know, like premiere and shooting cameras and lighting and stuff. And by that time I was like, all right, I think I really need to do this. Like I, I can't, I can't do anything else. All right. So let me, let me, let me pump the brakes here. Cause you and I have a lot in common right now. You, so you worked, so you worked at a TV station at college or after college? Um, in college, um, there was the TV station on campus, which was like, you know, you give it, you know, like it was student run. There was no oversight. Like it was whatever. Um, it was fun. But like, we, you know, it was like kids in a, in a sandbox. And I got to, you know, learn a trade in a way. Self-taught. Yeah. All right. Because I worked my first gig. I mean, actually, my, I, my first gig was I was working on movie sets in Boston and Hollywood basically just up and left once the whole big thing with the tax credits kind of shit the shit the bed. I mean, they're back shooting there now. Things have changed again, but um, I needed a place to hang my hat, so I I got a job as a master control operator. At, and I didn't even know what the hell master master control was. <laughs> I, like, and the thing is, it's like you need a high school degree to get a job. That's it. Like, you don't need this illustrious resume and then again like anything in tv and film like no one's ever asked me what my gpa was like <laughs> were you on dean's list like <laughs> but I, I so i needed a place to hang my hat at this abc fox affiliate in springfield massachusetts nice. and I, I mean like I, I got thrown on the night shift so honestly like i never even really got to meet a lot of people when i worked there but do you think like, I mean, I guess maybe you kind of answered this, but I'll kind of phrase it uh, into, I don't know, maybe a bigger question, but uh, do you think like working at a TV station really kind of helps, you know, help someone trying to make it in film? Yes, I think it can. If you're looking for the right things. I mean, if you're just looking to learn, mm-hmm. you know, if you're looking to learn and if you're looking to see what the bigger picture is, then I think it absolutely can. You know, you can, you know, and you ask questions from people, you know, you put your best foot forward, you have a good work ethic, don't show up late, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, people, your bosses are more inclined to answer any questions you have about, oh, well, why'd you do it like this? Or, well, why did we do that? Or, oh, you know, you know, like you, there, there's a little more wiggle room when you're really presenting the best version of yourself at work or a TV station in this regard. Yeah, because what i did i was at this small market station for a year and a half but then when i you know came down to florida that helped me get a job with nbc Mm. so like at the time while i was you know working in western mass at a small market tv station i just remember being like i gotta get the fuck out of here like it was i (laughs) thought like it just felt i was 26 and it was just felt so dead end and, you know, a year-ish later, I'm working at a, the network, basically, which, you know, it's just wild. You just never know. I don't know. You just never know what your career trajectory is going to be, no matter when I'm just speaking for guys, guys and girls mm-hmm. in film, but just like anybody. Um, Crapshoot. Yeah. Yeah, dude, definitely. 
um you had your own tv show what the yes, what do we got going I on here did. um so yeah i mean it was again this was student run so it's kind of like bad news bears Oh, I don't <laughs> what what we needed to have go on is that like you needed in order to have your own show you needed to work on a show somebody else's show for like a semester and then be able to know how to use they use final cut pro 10 so you know what i mean that's how like bare basic they they went and i i didn't learn final cut but i lied and i said oh yeah no i definitely you know nobody <laughs> what am i gonna do um, and basically the, the whole point of the show was just like a mockumentary kind of, of uh, me and my friends playing caricatures of ourselves, just trying to cut corners to get ahead and failing miserably being, you know, like, um, you know, and, you know, and I, I was at the time, you know, I was learning about, I was, I was learning about, you know, the hero with a thousand faces and, you know, like the, the hero's journey. So trying to work that type of story into, um, a mockumentary and you know some parts were funny some parts weren't some parts are obviously very cringe you know but I wrote them all myself uh, with some help with a friend of mine um, back home who didn't go to college with me um, but you know I got to write it direct it and then edit it myself and I just got addicted to that and you know sometimes you know, there were like there were like once one or two times like I would I would skip a class to just keep cutting and like learning new things about the thing and i just it was it was fun and it was cool to have that type of control and look back on it and go oh well that doesn't really work right and well actually if this was a cohesive story this would happen you know so a lot of uh self-teaching we had you know i think we had like three to four episodes over like four semesters because i think i started my sophomore year and i ended that show first semester of my senior year and it was just fun you know like me and my friends just i would make stories about my friends and shoot it you know it was fun nice you mentioned uh you're up in albany yeah uh university university of new york at albany that's are you where from, I'm, are you from up there i'm from palisades new york so i'm from i'm from I, i'm like it's like 20 minutes away from the george washington bridge palisades. Yeah, there's the mall there right the palisades yes. dude Pal- i that mall was the shit last time i went it's like a oh, Ferris wheel. That was that was the coolest mall I've ever seen. It. <laughs> it is no, it's huge. It's like it's like the third or fourth biggest mall in like the country. I my mom used to. I mean, obviously, I was an infant, but like my mom used to take us to the Dunkin' Donuts like across the street from where the mall is, and we would just you know, I, was, I guess I was into trucks or something at like three or four, and so I like I would just watch it getting built, and I thought it was uh, the bee's knees. So you dropped a couple director's names on me kurosawa fellini and if you want to expand on it go ahead but oh sure um but to just kind of slowly tiptoe into you as a filmmaker sure what what kind of who do you look at like what what do you pull from well you know what i i it is i think those two guys specifically are in my subconscious i mean you 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 grow up watching everybody and anything so like you're the first person on this show to like tell like talk about Fellini <laughs> it's kind really? of cool. oh, yeah. good. well he's I mean he's the maestro you know Scorsese mm-hmm. still calls him that he's you know he's the master mm-hmm. um Agreed. you know I I, I think I, I lovedly I still call him maestro and I, I call uh Kurosawa my teacher Kurosawa you can't find a better filmmaker who you would be able to consistently completely turn down the volume of his films and know exactly what's going on very you know? true 
And I think a lot of that has to do with his influences in Kabuki theater, which is very like overly expressive. Yeah. Um, but it, it translates so well for Western audiences. I know that like at, at in his heyday, he wasn't as well regarded in Japan as he was everywhere else in the world, but it really resonated with Western audiences, you know, and it's, I mean, to me, they still do. I mean, like you I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't think of somebody off the top of my head without using VFX who has better establishers than like the beginning of, um, you know, something like Ron, you know, or even that one shot where not spoiling anything for those who haven't seen it, but when the King is coming out of the burning castle and he just walks out of the gate with those, you know, what, 200 extras around him ready to go, you know, um, you don't, you don't, and, and by the way, he was legally blind when he staged that shot. Wow. So you're talking about a master who is legally blind, who's been doing, who's been doing something for like 20, 30, 30 years at that point, if not more legally blind. And he's able to pull off a one or like that without VFX, without, um, I, I think that, I mean, they, you know, so hopefully somebody who watches this can correct me if I'm wrong, but they had to do that in one take because you can't unlight the fire on the building. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know, we yeah. gotta get that right. And I think a lot of that, a lot of, a lot of that precision though, because he was a, he was a tactician and he was brutal sometimes um, on set. I think a lot of that has to do is because he painted a lot of his storyboards. And so when he knew exactly what he wanted, he just, you know, show the cameraman, this is what I want, you know? And that's, that's incredible. That's just, an, it's, it's an incredible thing to see and to be so moved by people who you don't speak their language, but you know, like something like Ikaru, like I get choked up every single time. It's a beautiful movie. For, it's been a while since I've seen it, but it's a beautiful movie. It, it was one of the first uh, Blu-ray Criterions I ever bought. <laughs> nice. I think it's, uh, I think it's, I don't know why I haven't, I don't have it on Blu-ray, unfortunately, or on DVD, but it's been on HBO Max on their TCM yes. uh, curated classics. And I just keep scrolling by it. And, but, but it's always kind of this thing where it's like, it's one of those movies that I love, but I have to be in the mood for it. For sure. So like I so you know the only time I really get to sit down and watch watch stuff is right now, basically. God damn you for making me do this show. No. <laughs> but, um, That's my whole point. That's my whole plan. No, I'm I'm just messing with you. But like I'll scroll past it. I don't know if it's still there. And I'm like, it's tonight the night. And I'm like, nah, I, I just I'm not there. I don't feel it in my spirit. But there's something there's something rough, though, about looking at something like at least I'm having I have this problem looking at those monsters of art. And I think Ikaru, something like Ikaru specifically is a monster art piece that is just kind of to see it on an HBO Max or just kind of put it through like a fodder of, you know, dozens and dozens of other films makes it somehow a little less special. That's a valid um, point. You know, and I, you know, and I, I don't want to treat things like that. You know, it's just about, it's about consuming, you know, I don't, and I understand, I understand, listen, I'm, I'm happy that the movies are available for anybody who wants to see them, but there's something that is that for me, because I'm a snob and an absolute arrogant prick, um, make devalues it a little bit for me, you know, as opposed to going to my, 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 my case, opening the booklet, reading the forward and, uh, seeing you know like you know like reading what their insights are into it and then watching the supplements you know that was my film school growing up was watching special features you know yeah that's, that's i don't mean to I, say this on the air but how old are you i am 28 i had to think about that 20 okay so i'm a little older than you so yeah we're kind of of that same 
age group of, and this is a reoccurring theme on this show is just, you know, we, our generation was really kind of the last physical media generation. I, I mean, I, I mean, I got this stack behind me. I got some more over there, but like, I, I do I even really watch my, my DVDs or Blu-rays? I'm like, yeah, I do. But it, they're starting to turn into this thing where it's like, I just want to fight. I know of a few places I can go to buy them or I just buy online where it's like, I almost just want them to have them. So just in case, uh, your employer or some or some other streaming service. It's kind of funny we're talking about this right now, but yeah. happens to you know years down the road, you know they they close up shop and all of a sudden like all these films have to go somewhere and it's like I want to have my physical media, you know I always I always want to I, I always love the video store days. We talk about this all the time. I, I I'm slowly kind of prepping something about physical media project right now and it's just yeah it's the feeling of having it in your hand i mean i remember back when i was a kid hanging out in the real basement you know i had this box of vhs's that i bought they were mine and sometimes i wouldn't even put a movie on i just wanted to hold uh terminator 2 in my hand and just look at the back and read the synopsis for the hundredth time i just you're fixed we, yeah, we have a generation right now and not knocking anybody younger than me, but like that y'all aren't getting that. <laughs> and I think you're missing out on something special. But then again, the flip side of that coin is, you know, yeah, you have all this access to pretty much whatever the hell you want right now. So well, you know, that's my rant. No, but it's a good rant. I mean, like it, it, it's what you, it's what the individual makes of it. You know, I mean, like I remember, you know, my, my mother telling me stories about, you know, uh, getting new hope for $70 on VHS back in, you know, whatever year that was. And, you know, her father-in-law, my grandfather would be like, Oh, Gwenny, you know, $70 for a movie, <laughs> you know? Um, but nowadays, you know, and, you know, and th that's them complaining about that. And now here we are complaining about what they do, uh, you know, about what people uh, younger than us do. And I, I, I would hope that just the film enthusiasts who are people like you and me, who, if they were our age, were going and holding those VHS tapes or going to the video stores. Hopefully, they're all or they are perusing HBO Max, and you know maybe you know they, they run into something like you know Masculine Feminine or Breathless or you know Four Hundred Blows, and you know like they they just they they consume that the way we mm -hmm. consume that. You know, what I mean, there's this great Sicilian proverb, you know, one who forsakes the old ways from the new knows what they're losing, but not what they will find. So hopefully with this amount of content out there, hopefully there is a, there's a Tyler, there's an Anthony that's just binging uh, turn classic movies on HBO max. Ah, t yeah. That's the TCM's a good go-to. I fucking love TCM, TCM underground, TCM, everything. But I think it's my mom that got me hooked on TCM. She still sends me like, she'll, text a picture to me like look what's on tonight or something and oh, i think it's i get my i like to say i get my love for the cinema from my mom because she just loves going to movies she loves my mom and i can sit on opposite couches in a room like in a living room and watch a three-hour movie and just sit in silence and yeah. then afterwards we analyze what we just saw 
I get my whole idea of piecing together a creative project from my dad. I mean, my dad used to write commercials for, it was like his dream job, but he really unfortunately had it for like a brief time in his life. But yeah, like, I don't know. That's, I, so I love old movies. reached it though. What's up? I'm so happy he reached it though. So oh, me, me, me too. It definitely, I, I, I look, I mean, I remember he, we used to have props from his commercials. I mean, he, he was in, he actually worked in Albany for a while Hey. and he, uh, but I think he was, he was, you know, it's a small market, but I could just, I remember him just like loving what he did. So anywho, uh, that was a fun little rant there. <laughs> I like your rants. No, but you make a valid point with like a, a film, like a Kurosawa film. I see it, you know, streaming somewhere and I, it's like, I don't want to watch it because, you know, maybe I'm not in the mood, but like, you know, if something like that's playing on a big screen somewhere, I, yeah, I'm going to go like, or, or I'm at least make an effort. I'm going to maybe carve out some time or see if I can carve out some time to go. It's just, that's how I feel about the theater these days. Oh yeah. I mean, I got to see a, I got a, I got to see a print of Seven Samurai two years ago. Even though I own the I own the goddamn thing right in the next room, I was like, oh, on the big screen. All right, let me take my money. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel you. So, all all this all this knowledge, all this passion for film, uh, you do the thing. You you pack up, and move to L.A. Yes, yes, um, yeah, because at the end of. After, after my internship at the local access uh, channel, I, my last internship for my last semester of college was at ABC in New York City. And um, it was just like, it was just like broadcast intern. Like I was just responsible for like copying, pasting like lower thirds to like different distributors. Like, I mean, different, you know, like different like satellite outlets everywhere. And yeah, I know what you're getting at. EOD, yeah. Like, you know, synopsis for like, you know, I don't know what was on uh, modern family or something like, I don't know, whatever, whatever the show oh, Grey's anatomy. I know a couple of times, you know, um, but, and the, the, that was fun because like, that was like, to me, that was like big boy shoes. I was like, you know, you're working in New York city. Um, I still had one class to take in Albany. So that was rough. Um, thankfully it was only once a week, but uh, I was like traveling, like, you know, Monday, Tuesday, I would be down. Uh, I was staying with my aunt in Rockland. So I stayed with my aunt Monday, Tuesday, going to the city Tuesday night, drive to Albany, uh, you know, take the bus up to Albany, um, stay there until Wednesday night, then Thursday morning, crack of dawn, go back down the city, Thursday, Friday, in the city. Um, but the thing about the, and I'm not trying to knock anybody that's into broadcast or anything like that, but uh, I mean, there just wasn't creative in, you know, and I, didn't I think see, that's the thing. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't see an opening for anything creative and um, I didn't, you know, like I didn't have any contacts really in New York. Um, and for anybody that there was an opening or like a, you know, a Craigslist for something in New York, there was 20 in LA, you know, be a PA on this indie film, be a PA on this, uh, AFI, uh, short film. I was like, you know, let me throw in my hat. Let me, let me try LA. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it just seemed right. Um, it felt weird. It felt weird. You know, I, I think I'm a creature of deep down. I'm a creature of habit, but I, force myself to be a part of a change just so that I can try to get used to it, even though it's, you know what I mean? Like I just, and it's, I'm glad I did it because now here I am, but like, oof, it was, uh, 
it was, it was, you know, when you don't know anything and you don't know anybody, you're just kind of like, you know, what is, you know, what is going on? You're like an alien, you know, you're, you're in a, you know, you're, you're a pilgrim in an unholy land, but you know, it's scary. There's like, I have a friend who went out to Los Angeles for, he was out there for like three or three or four years. He moved back East. And he, I think one of the first times I talked to him after he moved out there, he told me this like scary thing that, I mean, I've, I've never moved out. I've never lived out West. Um, but like, it kind of hit me like after I moved down here, you know, he's, you kind of, something hits you after a couple weeks, like you want to go see someone, you know, you can't just hop in your car and drive and see them. Like that happened to me I was going through that phase, like with my parents, like I didn't realize how maybe close I was with my parents. And like, after a couple of weeks, I was like, I was just remember caught myself staring out the window. Like, oh, I can't just hop in my car and drive and see what my mom's cooking for dinner. Shit sucks. <laughs> It's a scary feeling. It it is. It's very scary. And, you know, the, it's, unfortunately you just get used to it, you know, and there's never a day and there's never a moment where you realize like, Oh, I'm assimilated. It's more just like a gradual thing that happens and you start eventually, you know, you do it right. You know, you start hanging out with people here, you get friend groups here, you have your in jokes with your friends here who get your work and do this. And it, you know, you just slowly realize that, wow, you know, you're, life is here now and it makes the city less scary it makes it smaller and it makes it more like a uh you know like fertile soil for opportunity you know yeah people told me la is a huge 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 area but it's also a small town once you kind of like everybody knows everybody everybody's least heard of everybody and it's weird. Like, I don't feel like you get like, I mean, again, I never did the New York grind either. I came close to time or two, but you know, New York, you don't really get that in New York because no, well, no, everybody's New an York. asshole. You know? yeah, everybody, it's <laughs> metropolis. It's just people trying to get to and from no matter what. Yeah. yeah. I, I, have, I have friends still, you know, acting and, you know, working in film in New York city, but they said it's like, it's a different vibe because everybody's just in their own lane. Do not get in my lane. Yeah. It's, and like, you know, the past few times, I went, I was, last time I was in New York was like two years ago. And even you just kind of get that walking on the street. Everybody's got a place to go and get the hell out of my way. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know what? I miss it too. <laughs> I, <kinda> miss it. <laughs> I, I, you know, maybe it's just the proximity. Maybe it's, it's a Stockholm syndrome, but just being so close and having that, you know, my whole life up until I came out here, the, that proximity to New York city and just being able to go whenever I wanted. Um, yeah. It just, you know, I, I, I'm used to it. Like I, I, everybody else in this country is slow next to New Yorkers. So like, I can't go anywhere where, yeah. I'm not, you know, just like hurry up. You know? <laughs> and that's something I, you know, that's my own problem. I got that, but it's like a um, Northeast thing. I think it is. I think it's worse. It is worse in New York, but I visited some friends of friends down in San Diego and San Diego is slower than LA and they're from Maryland. And they were complaining about how slow everybody is. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> you guys are saying that? It, I feel like it's my, you know, it, I haven't, in a while, I haven't really worked in a fast paced environment. So like, it's my Northeast mentality. And like the fact that I worked in network television for practically four years, that like, if I do anything that slows me down, I just like, I start getting fidgety. Yep. Like, it's just like, and I've, I feel like I've suppressed it a little bit and gotten better at managing that, but there's something about, you know, you're kind of just always on the go. It's always on the go. It's like, you know, it's just the mentality up there, I guess. 
It um, is. Helps to be a filmmaker. You know. <laughs> Benefits you had here too. They just, you know, a lot of people like seeing that hustle. You know. Perfect segue. Let's uh it's time to talk about waiting. And I'm not talking about the Ryan Reynolds uh raunchy restaurant uh <laughs> cult classic. I'm talking about a little short film that uh, pretty much how you landed on my doorstep. I saw it via an email and uh, it was, so you shot this in one night. Yes. Um, Yeah. For any listeners waiting, my short film is about a young man who takes notice of increasingly eccentric patrons in a restaurant. Um, And we did, we, we had to shoot it in one night just because that was our budgetary restrictions. You know, couldn't really do more than that. And we just had to plan really hard. You know, we had to plan. And as you've seen the, you know, you've seen the short, so you know that like it's, it's, um, you know, there's no dialogue in it. You know, it's all what we tried to do. Incredible use of Foley. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Shout out to Minika Kasbara, our um, uh, sound designer. All right. Um, We actually, I mean, I get, you know, it's a short film, so you can talk about everything. There's kind of no, no use in holding anything back. Because we were so stretched, we were so pushed for time, we actually didn't record any sound on the day. Interesting. Yes. And that actually, I, I was comfortable with that because of, here we go, we're tying it back around, uh, because of Fellini. Fellini was notorious for just playing music uh, during a lot of his takes to start to, uh, to make a mood to try to get people lively or depending whatever the feeling is, they'd just be playing opera or they'd be playing, you know, jazz, you know, pop records and they'd be acting and they would just overdub everything later. Um, And it's effective. I mean, you look at stuff like, especially like some of the scenes that stick out very hard for me is like eight and a half, um, the outdoor kind of party scene before the magician, you know, does the Asa Nisa Masa thing. Um, You know, that's, that's the type of scene where he's trying to, create an atmosphere and if he could you know and th- i mean this is this is this is you know the audacity of uh of me i was like oh well he could do it i can't <laughs> like why can't i um but then i was able to coach my actors i was able to coach my actors in the middle of takes if we needed to and there were you know there's there were some parts where my actors needed to get to a certain spot and so it was it was nice to be able to do what i needed to do to support them to get there and that was helpful. And my, my two uh, cameramen for it, Jack Semkin and Blake Bowen, I, both of them I met at the uh, that first VFX vendor house uh, that I worked for, Stargate. Um, they were my camera ops and they were killer. They, you know, we, we'd, we'd, we'd done bigger shoots than that. You know, I, I used to do driving plates with them for like Ray Donovan at Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> so doing our own thing, we were like, let's, you know, what, we don't have enough time? Oh, great. What else is new? Like, <laughs> you know um jack came over we, he took pictures and then we would put them on plasterboard i wish i had it i think i threw it out but we would put it on plasterboard as like our our um uh, storyboard and then as the night go on we would just be like okay and because i have the background in editing too like i'd be like oh well like th- this shot is just this shot so if we do you know 2a to 3b like you know we can eliminate this 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 so it was all very much just you know, like I never shoot anything without seeing the cut already in my head. So it was very straightforward. We got out with like 15 minutes to spare at that place. So like, you know, for a lot of time. So, and that includes, you know, rollout, like headlights up. So that, that felt nice. That, that felt good to be around people who just want to create and are looking to you to 
bring this to life is, is fun you know nice man and being one one degree away from martin scorsese's nights nice. we had richard real on uh we had richard real in our short so that was cool that's all right his name was escaping me and i was like oh my god he's in every he's he's a, he's a great character actor fugitive casino like he's he's everywhere <laughs> he's the joe pesci scene like we're <laughs> I'm going to come down to the bank and crack your fucking head open. <laughs> and by the time you get out of the hospital, I'll be getting out of, I'll be getting out of jail and I don't give a fuck. I'll fucking bash you again. You want to know why? Cause I'm fucking stupid. Like <laughs> <laughs> Joe, Pe- all right. Off topic, but Joe Pesci like is so goddamn scary in that movie. Yes. Uh, yeah. And then of course, then he, you know, gets buried alive in the end, but that's, you know, they're, He's a, he's, he's a monster talent. I feel like people try to pinhole, pin, pigeonhole him a little bit. And it's unfortunate because I, I, I feel bad. I forgot the character's name in um, uh, Casino, but that character is a lot like Tommy. Like he is a, he is like a cousin in a way of Tommy and good. Yeah. And that's a shame because, I mean, you look at somebody like, you know, Tommy from Goodfellas and then you look at Russell Buffalino in Irishman and those two guys have nothing in common. I, I like how he... I liked him in the Irishman. I think a lot of people were, I talked to a lot of people after that came out and so many people were like, dude, what the hell? Like Joe Pesci was such a letdown. And I was like, no, I think you forget Joe Pesci is like a really good actor. Yeah. And he can be more than just the crazy gangster. And like, I mean, he's still a complete like murdering, I don't even gangster, whatever. He's, yeah. he's a murderer in Psychopath. the Irishman, but he's, he's now the old wise gangster that can just, yeah. he doesn't need to do the dirty work. He can just, well, he, I mean, he's the, you know, he's Satan in that movie. He makes the yeah. offer. He's, 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 he's really evil in that. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, you know, Frank Sheeran is, is damned because of the choices he does to um, be loyal to his friend. It's, it's, it's brilliant. I, I really, I am, I sing the Irishman's praises all day long. Like I really that movie yeah. is three that we really don't see much in movies anymore. You yeah, know? I, 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 incredible. I think it was just a big risk for someone at like Scorsese's age to make a movie like that, and and that's another thing with movies. I'm sorry, we're gonna get back to your movie. In a second, <laughs> no problem. But that's like I just I feel like there's just a lot of films that come out where they're not they're playing it safe now. Yes, like with messages, like it's in. You know, and I understand, you know, there's, I understand we don't want to offend anybody, but like, I I think we should tell more stories that have more blurred lines with the, I don't know what I'm really trying to say here, but everything's just too straightforward. And this is this, and this is that, I don't know, but I feel like in the Irishman, you've got like a really, uh, really, especially by the third act, like uh, that was like a horror movie. Just I, I completely am in fear of growing old just because of that yeah. movie. Yeah, it's it's it becomes a meditation, which is brilliant. Um, yeah, and it's uncomfortable, you know, because usually when we see these guys, especially Scorsese's guys, like they, um, they skirt. They always skirt dealing with the big problems. And I mean, specifically, just talking about his mob movies, you know what I mean? Like, Charlie thinks he can get away with something and then he actually doesn't. You know, he's mm-hmm. doomed. Um, Ray Liotta just thinks he's going to be, you know, I'm going to live my rest of my life like a schnook. But he he gets away with it and never really sees through himself the problems that he created. Um, uh, Sam Rothstein and 
case in um, a casino, right? Like he's left alone, but like the last line is like, and that's that, you know, he's just a schmuck that started. He is where he started, but uh, Frank Sheeran has to stare death in the face. And that's really nice. And I I feel like that bothers people. And I feel like that, you know, the same type of crowd that gets bored with that part of the movie are the same people that don't find anything uh, redemptive in Godfather three. And I, you know, I'd rather kind of not talk to those people because, you know, because I mean, like, you know, you don't get to ride off into the sunset. That's not how life. No, we're we're not making out of this. We're not making out of this alive. No, there's a decline. There is always a decline. Nobody's going to gets out of it alive. So, so to see that and to be uncomfortable with that is. Yeah. I, I like, I like things with messages like that, even if it just, you know, creeps me out. Um, yeah. So, sorry, back to your short film. So, actually, that's a solid segue back to your short film. Like, I kind of just wanted to hear where you were coming from, from a, like a just as sure. the message you were trying to convey in it. Well, so waiting to me was very much just came out of an unknowing. You know, what I mean, like I said, you know, about a guy who you know, watching, you know, seeing increasingly eccentric patrons. You start seeing weird things and weird sounds and weird people um, <laughs> outside that certainly lead to an idea. One people, one set of people go off into an okay exit, and then a poor mother, as we see, uh, goes off into a very, very uncomfortable exit in the restaurant. And I think the point I was trying to make is just it's about being uncomfortable and unknown and not knowing what happens next in life, what happens after life. I, I, you know, I grew up a Catholic and I wrestled with that for a while. I don't, I'm very agnostic now. And I think it's, I think it's okay to not know because I don't think anybody knows what happens after death. Um, and that's kind of what I, I mean, obviously I, I don't know. I thought I had solved my, 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 uh, my uh, religious crisis you know, a decade ago, but apparently not. If, if the first thing I make out here is that, um, but it just came out of a spot of not knowing and trying to wrestle with it, and being very uncomfortable because you know everybody wants to. You know, it's really nice, especially in Catholicism and Christianity. You know, you get the idea of the nice big table up in heaven with all your loved ones that you don't get to see anymore, um, that you miss, and coming to the conclusion that that doesn't happen is not fun. You know, it's sad. Um, and you get angry. And how do you deal with that? And what do you have to say to yourself to cope? And I think waiting is what I had to say to myself to cope. Damn. That is, I, I just, just from watching it, I knew I knew there was a deeper meaning in there, but I didn't really want to say anything on the show and embarrass myself. So that really put a good stamp on it, but I knew you were going for something like that, but I didn't really know you yet. So like to, to hear about, you know, your, you know, how your, your view on religion and stuff. And I mean, I've always heard, I wasn't, I really wasn't brought up through any, sort of religious background at all i never really went to church That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but like i also don't like I, I you could say i'm agnostic or you could i don't think i'm an atheist and 
but like, you know, when people, when I meet Christians, when I meet Catholics, when I meet any religion, I, I always ask them a lot of questions just about, and not right. to like, you know, spite them in what their beliefs are. You know, I always feel like, you know, just as long as you ain't trying to harm anybody, you know, you're fine by me. But I've always just noticed in Catholicism, there's always a lot of guilt. Yes. There's, there's just, you, you, you have to constantly confession and everything. And, you know, you're gonna, you know, there's the George Carlin bit where, you know, he, you know, God, if you don't do this, God is going to send you to hell and you're going to burn and be alone. And yeah. And then he just ends it by going, well, then he loves you, but he loves you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my favorite stand up bits of all time. Well, Cause he grew up Catholic. Yeah. Like you had to experience that. My, my, my dad, I don't know if my dad grew up Catholic. I know they went to church on Sundays, at least for a <laughs> while. I mean, my grandmother's side was very religious. They're, I, I don't know what their label was, but, um, but you know, my dad always had a strong stance on like on the Catholic church or just religion and whatnot. And I've always don't really know where I'm going with this, but what have you ever seen? There's a documentary on, um, I don't know if you have the streaming platform, but it's uh shutter. Shutter. I've heard of it. I don't have it. Um, so it's a, it's pretty much the Netflix of horror movies. But they have some really good documentaries on there. They have one called Leap of Faith, and it's about the making of The Exorcist. Ooh, okay. And all it is, it's just like that documentary on De Palma. It's nothing over the top, nothing. It's just William Friedkin sitting in a chair with, you know, just some footage over his when he's talking and whatnot, but he's the camera's on him. And he's talking about how he made The Exorcist. And it, but it's not really nuts and bolts of filmmaking it's kind of you know just kind of like everything you just told me how he came to the table of making this film and there's so much stuff going on in the exorcist that just makes it more of a horror movie or more than a horror movie i should say just like these little things he notices um there's a lot of uh one thing that comes to mind is there's a lot of ascension a lot of people going upstairs, a lot of people just going up something just to symbolize going to heaven. But like, there's always these shots of um, the priest going up, going upstairs up to where, you know, Linda Blair's possessed in the bedroom. And so it's like, he's supposedly the symbolism of going to heaven, but he's going to deal with the devil. And it's, it's just a, I highly recommend it. Great dichotomy. It's, it is, it's just such a beautiful documentary. Um, Anyway, that's, I'll put that on my list. That's great. No, I, lo- I love documentaries about filmmaking. So that's that's going right up there. Um, yeah, man. So that's I'm really happy you shared that with me. That was like some deep stuff. Cause you know, I mean, I always feel like short films kind of, you know, even if they're two minutes long, there's always a great story behind them. So, there can be. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing there can be. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I mean, I made a short film about a guy who gets arrested for. Never mind, man. I'm like, <laughs> no, no, please go on. No, I like like about eight years ago, we made a uh, me and uh, me and you know me and my producing partners and everybody, we made a, a short film based off of. Uh, I don't want to tell this story. <laughs> this is nothing to do. This is this fails in comparison to your short film. So anyway, uh, let's move on though, because uh, you wrapped a feature 
recently or you, yes. you've locked picture even i should say locked picture lock picture lock everything the movie is done love and love not uh yes. what can you or can't you tell me about it ah uh, well basically i think in a nutshell it's a movie about a cynical philanderer who goes home for the holidays only to get entangled by the woman who broke his heart years ago it's bi-coastal um romantic character study in a way you know i feel like saying rom-com is because it's not very funny i don't think it's funny some people think it's funny I don't know. like you know it, it, it kind of i don't want to package it in something that it's not i think a character like a, a romantic character study is a good way to put it um we follow um yeah the main character nikki goes home back to new york for the holidays uh living in la goes home to new york to uh try to do holiday things and uh you know uh the heart wanders <laughs> yeah, for like yeah. better and it does for young people it uh really does well for almost anybody but um you know for being uh, the main characters in his you know early 20s and he hasn't figured it out yet like a lot of us you know mm. and it was it's uh you know we're submitting it to festivals now so hopefully we'll hear back between november and probably as late as like april or may so after we get into a few festivals, we're going to try to sell it. Way to go, dude. Yeah. yeah uh, if you happen to make it in, just let me know and I'll give you a shout out on uh, oh, thank you. the Instagram pages or something. I don't know. But um, so you, uh, just going off some notes here, you shot during COVID? Yes, we did. We shot in LA on, um, we shot in LA in no- oh my God, November, I believe. Yeah, we shot in LA in November um and then we shot for 11 days then we shot in new york for 11 days and it was tough you know every you know mask uh covering compliance officers uh you know um making sure everybody has their own packed lunches no cross contamination of this everybody you know it was uh never thought in my wildest dreams that that would be the circumstance for my first feature film Cause you know, just like every filmmaker, you know, you have the idealized like thing in your head of how you're going to do it. And, you know, like sometimes like in your fantasy, you know, you kind of, you know, you're wearing this cause you know, Coppola wore it, or you're saying that because Bergman said it to uh, Liv Oldman, you know, and it's like, you kind of have a mosh posh idea of what you do and when you're a director and here I am just sweating my ass off, <laughs> you know, in, <laughs> In, a, in apartment buildings and sets around uh, Los Angeles with a mask on like this. And I'm I'm breaking out in maskany. And I remember just thinking to myself, I think like halfway through the LA shoot, like, you know what, at least this is your story. You know, this is your story of making the movie. Um, and it was, yeah, it was tough. Like, what do you. <laughs> oh yeah. You're not the, uh, well, you're not the first filmmaker to come on this show in the last like month who to, to, to told me shared me their their stories and <laughs> it's I, i've i came close to something during like right right when things started opening up and then it shut down and then we shut things down really quick so i feel like i dodged a bullet <laughs> but like i still wanted to make a movie <laughs> absolutely we we i mean i i surrounded myself with good people you know we uh, my producing partner is this guy named Vincent Fiorenza. I call him Vinny. 
he's just one of those true blue type of just believers and hard workers. And he will just go at bat for you for anything. And he made life a lot easier because when I sounded like a crackpot, he would go, yeah, you are, but like, we got to solve this problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's a lot of non-judgment on his part. My cinematographer, uh, director of photography, she was incredible. She was, uh, she's very, um, she's actually much more art artistic than I am <laughs> actually, but we met, we had a really good like meeting ground. You know, I gave her a lookbook of what the type of field that we were going for. And she just, she just ran with it. She it was so easy for her to just to be able to take that idea and that concept and just shoot what I want. Like, you know, there was never, there was never really a time where I was like, you know what, this is so bad. We got to start from the, no, it's just like, oh yeah, no, this is, this is it. That's okay. Yeah. Great. You know, can we do this or that? And then she was a great collaborator too, where she'd say, you know, like, she'd be like, well, I understand that this is supposed to be the next shot, but if you're trying to convey this, what do you think about this idea? And like 95% of the time I was like, yep. Okay. Let's do that. You know, if we have yeah. time to do an idea, we'll do that, but let's do this one first because this is a better idea. So um, and we brought her to New York as well, obviously. We, we, she was only one of, you know, besides obviously our main actor, uh, crew member-wise, I think she was only one of like two people that we brought over from L.A. to New York. My, my second AD and, and her, because um, those two were vital. You can't, I could, couldn't have made of those movies without. Shout out Joe Vizzini, best, uh, best, in, the, best in the world. <laughs> he's, he's incredible. Um there's there's obviously there's fun that comes with it but obviously you know, it's a lot of pressure to be not to not have like a full staff team you know so people like Vinny Taylor Joe and myself are wearing multiple hats you know like I'm you know we'd be wrapping a day of shooting and then I'd be like uh calling actors to fill roles for a scene we're going to shoot a week from now you know and then after that call is done i got to get back with Vinny because we got to talk about financing and we got to talk about um uh how much money we need for the next week because you know Vinny and i both produced it so it's not just going in taking your shot list going this looks really nice then like leaving the set you know that doesn't happen and um i kind of i kind of uh think of it in the dick donner way where dick donner especially during the really uh, tumultuous times during superman uh, he'd be the last one out of the building. Wow. And that is something that I, you know, especially when like they were trying to build sets. I, I couldn't tell you exactly which sets they were doing. I'm sure it must've been like stuff like um, uh, Fortress of Solitude or something. Or yeah. Maybe, Krypton stuff, you know? Yeah. But like, he'd be one of the last guys out because he loved his crew because he treated his crew with respect. You know, the, 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 the father son producing partners had a problem with him, but uh the only thing I could say to that, and you know, they're all dead, so it doesn't matter. It's not like anybody's gonna be butthurt, but you know, look at Superman and then look at what became of Superman too. And I think you have your answer yeah. right there who the best creative uh power was in that series. Yeah, man. I just went on a tangent too. We can't stop doing tangents that have nothing. It, no, dude, it happens on this show all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like other podcasts do it too, but you know, I, I have structure but on the show, but you know, it's a, it's a sign of a, you're a good guest. That That's all it really oh, is. Oh, sweet. I'm not, I've never had a bad guest, but let's just say, you know, Hey, every now and then, you know, somebody comes along and I got to like, come on, talk, talk <laughs> baby. But regardless, um, congratulations on the short. 
congratulations on finishing the film. Uh, congratulations on whatever success comes your way in the coming year with the film. Uh, I will put uh, waiting in the show notes. If anybody wants to check it out, it's uh, I mean, like you just heard, like you just heard him, Anthony talk about uh, it's uh, now that I know all that, that's going to probably make me enjoy it even more. Oh, but um, it's only six minutes. So yeah, you got it's only six minutes. minutes. You don't got six minutes. Uh, I don't know. You got to rework your schedule or something. But um, Anthony, thank you for a great show. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. This was awesome. Um, when it wins, when when um, when whatever's next wins something for you. By the way, I should ask you: Do you have anything coming down the pipeline now besides love and love not? I will say this. Um, I will say I will say this because I'm a little superstitious, but um, oh, you don't want to say anything. <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah, because I'm superstitious, I don't want to say anything. But I can definitely say I'm locked and loaded. Cool, man. Cool. Uh, where can if anybody wants to, I don't know, follow you or whatnot, you know, where can we find? Um, you? so best way to follow me is probably um Instagram. You know, um the Capdac, um that's T H E C A P T A C. Um, that's probably the best place because I I'm on there much more than probably anything else. It's nice to just look at pretty pictures and then that's it. You know, Facebook mm-hmm. you got to read, Twitter you got to read, and uh, you know, I just want to look at pictures. <laughs> But having said that, disclaimer, if you're a good film, if you're good filmmakers, don't just watch great movies. They also read the great books. So please don't think that I'm anti uh, literacy. <laughs> okay, man. All right. Well, uh, once again, thank you for a great show. This was awesome. And uh, all you listeners out there, you know, the routine. Uh, what's the routine? I always screw up my outro. Oh, yeah. Uh, Leave a comment. Leave a rating so uh, the basement doesn't go into the abyss. And until then, we will see you next week on The Basement. Take care, everybody.